So you drafted a fantasy football team. Big deal. Ooh, Ooh wow. Oh. Good job. Drafting is only half the battle. A month from now, you're going to wake up, check your team, and see that your three best players are hurt. Now what? You need to play the waivers, make trades, know who to start. And that's what we're here for. We're coming to you four times a week during the regular season to give you everything you need to win your league and dominate your group chat. Search for the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast and subscribe. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. The MLB season is in full swing, and you can step up to the plate with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filtered by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, Bet the live same-game parlays for every MLB game and track your game and bets live with box scores and play-by-play. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21-plus, 18-plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. baby welcome in wednesday edition of new york new york with yours truly jj john jistremski right here on the ringer podcast network and i hope everybody has enjoyed the cool down period that's what i like to call monday and tuesday after football sundays it's like the cool down period the overreactions are through the roof And we'll get you ready for the Giants and the football team coming up in a little bit. But the beautiful thing about living here in New York City and living and breathing all of these teams is the idea that come the month of September, we normally have something to talk about. Well, tonight, we have something to talk about twofold with the New York baseball teams in town. And unfortunately, we've got to start for you Mets fans on a very negative note because the Mets lost a brutal, and I repeat, a brutal game, a crushing game against the St. Louis Cardinals. Consider this. The Mets on Sunday, you could make the argument had their win of the year from winning this series against the Yankees, Lindor hitting three home runs, And I had a feeling come Monday, let down City, Wainwright on the mound, they'll lose to the Cardinals. But you got to get this game on Tuesday. Critiques galore for the Met manager. Stroman coming out after 90, 91 pitches. Mark Stroman's a free agent at the end of the year. Can we push Marcus Stroman into the seventh inning, especially with the way the Met middle relief has performed as of late? That's one. Two, Aaron Loop has been your best reliever. Why is Aaron Loop pitching the seventh inning 
Again, seven, eight, nine in the order. And why is Familia, who's had a decent year, but he hasn't been as good as Luke, why is he pitching against the top of the order? Makes absolutely no sense. Where's Seth Lugo? Why is Seth Lugo unavailable? You add all that up, a one-run lead, which should have been a lot more. You saw Peter Alonso break the bat, frustrated, disgusted. That should have more than one-run lead. It goes bye-bye when Familia gives up the two-run homer in the eighth inning. So at that point in time, you're thinking, all right, this is going to be a brutal, excruciating loss. Well, it gets worse because you get tantalized. Baez, and I stand by what I said, I would never in a million years resign him. Give credit where credit is due. He's played great for the Mets. The OPS is great. All right, he doesn't walk, and he swings at anything, but he's had a lot of big hits. He had one of the biggest hits of the year in a game-tying home run, sending the game in extra innings. Then you get to extra innings. You get a scoreless inning from Heath freaking Hembray. You've got to win the game right there. You've got to win the game. You get an incredibly lucky break on a James McCann check swing. It goes fair. It allows you to get the run of the third. First and third, one out. Lindor at the plate. You have to end the game. No other way around it. You pitch the bunch of your... Top flight relievers, you have to win the game. Lindor grounding into the three, two, five double play is a massive, massive, massive buzzkill. I get the star player is not going to deliver every single time. I'm aware of that. We're in a pennant race, though. I can't have Lindor's season narrative basically be one game against the Yankees. Oh, all is forgiven. He made his $30 million. He earned his $30 million. Lindor's got to get a sack fly. Is that too much to ask for $30-plus million a year? A sack fly when your team desperately needs a win? And you know what else stunk about tonight from a Mets standpoint? The way the dynamic within the National League has changed. The wild card is actually more attainable than winning the NL East. Because the Padres have gone into complete free fall. The Reds have cooled off. Now the Cardinals are back in it. The Phillies are in it. The Braves have a comfortable working margin within the division. They do. They have a comfortable working margin. The wild card is more realistic. Well, guess what? Everybody lost tonight. I don't know about the Padres. They're still playing their game right here and right now. But Atlanta lost, Philadelphia lost, Cincinnati lost. And the Cardinals would have lost if you do your job in the bottom half of the 10th inning. Doesn't happen. That's on Francisco Lindor. I'm sorry, he's got to be better. He's got to be better. It's the pennant race. You're trying to make the postseason. Hit a damn sack fly. It's not too much to ask. Hit a damn sack fly. The Cardinals proceed to score three in the top half of the next inning. And the Mets almost took advantage of some shoddy defense. The pitcher throwing it away, not playing deep enough on an Alonzo five ball. Amora can't be a hero. And the Mets end up losing a game that 
when you have 20-something games left and you're you're chasing five, six, seven different teams, you can't lose this game. Not with a lead in the eighth inning, not with the Baez game-tying home run, and not with first and third, one out, and extra innings. You can't lose that game. You want to be a playoff team, that's a game you win. This game, in a nutshell, is why at the end of the day, despite all of the warts of these particular wildcard teams across the National League, I still can't believe in my heart of hearts the Mets are finding their way to the postseason. Because you know what? Playoff teams win that sort of game. They just do. That was a massive swing game. I cannot stress that enough. It's a killer, killer loss for the Mets. For the Yankees, I'll admit on Monday, after the rotten weekend against the Mets, I'm on the golf course playing 36 holes with the great Michael Mino. We'll be getting married on Friday. I'm his best man. I got to think about what I'm going to say in my speech. I'm definitely not going to write anything down. Maybe I'll have some ideas in my head, but I'm, I, I'm not a scripted kind of guy. I don't work that way. I don't work that way here on podcasts. I don't work that way on television. I'm not doing it when I got to make the speech. It just won't be effective and it won't be good. Neither here nor there. We're playing golf. We have the Yankee game on in the court. They gave up four runs in the first inning to the Minnesota Twins. And I'm like, holy shit, man. You know the Yankees look cooked when they can't even beat the damn Twins because we know the Yankees own the Minnesota Twins historically. They just own them. The Yankees got six innings out of heel. He survived after the Rocky first. They fought back. Judge, we can forget about the narrative now of Aaron Judge not being clutch. I know Jacko and I talked about that in the first half of the year. That is over. That is done with. Aaron Judge has had some gigantic home runs for this team. Saturday night, a couple of others that come to mind. Well, Monday, down three in the eighth inning against a lowly Minnesota twin. To go and hit that home run, that's big boy shit right there. That's money-making sort of stuff right there. Sanchez walks it off with the base hit, and then you looked at the schedule. And what do you see on the schedule? You see three with Baltimore. You see three with Cleveland. You see three with Texas. You have to go seven and two in those nine games. When you know how hotly contested this wildcard race is, Toronto, Boston, Oakland, and Seattle are hanging around. You need to win against lowly teams. So on Tuesday, with Garrett Cole on the mound, that's a game you got to win. Was Cole great? No. First start after the hamstring injury, Threw 27, 28 pitches in the first inning. Had to grind his way through a tough jam in the first inning. Got out of it. Settled in. Threw a lot of pitches. Only gave you five. But those are the sort of starts to me that tell you what you need to know about Cole. Cole is a warrior. He had D-type stuff on Tuesday night. The Orioles can't pitch. They can score some runs. He still battles and gives you five innings of one-run baseball. That's the sort of guy I want soon up for me night after night after night. I can't get enough of Garrett Cole. Give me the American League Cy Young right here and right now. You got three great innings from King, and the Yankees did what they're supposed to do against the Orioles. They beat the crap out of them. 
It's something they did not do two weeks ago that kind of sent them into this spiral. Mayu homered, Judge homered, Stanton homered, Voight homered, Gallo homered, beat up on these bad teams. Narrative to watch with the Yankees, though. And he's, to me, hands down, the biggest disappointment within this everyday lineup. Glaber Torres officially moving to second base. And I think we can acknowledge now that Glaber Torres is done as a shortstop. For the Yankees to do this at the end of the year, to put Gio Urshela not in his natural position, to take DJ Omeyu away from his natural position and now put him over at third base, it's basically the Yankees throwing up a Hail Mary with Glaber, making the argument and making the point, hey, guess what? We've tried everything. We can't get him going on offense. Maybe this will. I have no reason to believe going from short to second is now all of a sudden going to make Gleyber Torres a great hitter again. But I appreciate the Yankees trying. Has it worked with Gleyber? And his defense and shortstop has cost the team way too many games this year. And it cost them dearly Sunday against the Mets. That's a narrative we're going to watch. The Yankees getting Herman maybe in Severino back. Put him in the bullpen. You don't got time to ramp him up. You don't need a starter right now. The Yankees need help in that bullpen because of the loss of Jonathan Wazigan. They need an arm or two to help you bridge the gap. Can King be that guy? Can Herman be that guy? Can Severino be that guy? It'd be a welcome sight. Because there are a whole lot of arms in the Yankee bullpen that you don't trust. But that's where we're at. The Yankees are in a dogfight every night, folks. Every night is like a playoff game. You're on the edge of your seat. You can't flush games away. Every single night, there's got to be that heightened sense of urgency. And knowing that you have Boston and Toronto and Tampa to close out the regular season, you got to get fat against these bad teams. Seven and two in this stretch is not unreasonable. After all, the Yankees won 13 games in a row. Go seven and two against Baltimore, Cleveland, Texas. And then buckle up and come join me, Fenway Park, and away we go. We got a loaded show for you. We'll get you ready for Giants, Washington, and the start of week two in the National Football League. Speaking of sense of urgency, there better be a sense of urgency for the New York Giants after what you saw in week one. We'll get you ready for that. We have a little trivia Q&A with JJ, but our old pal, he was in meltdown mode over the weekend. He's a little calmer after a Yankee win. A little bit calmer. Great Nikki Totoro is up next. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies' splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. So as we head down the home stretch of this 2021 season, and this guy was in terrible spirits over the weekend... And it's amazing. It feels like the pendulum swings every time we have a conversation. We've had rotten conversations. We've had giddy conversations. Rotten. And now it's back to positive. I mean, that's just the Yankee season in a nutshell. Let's welcome in the great Nikki Totoro. Nikki boy, what's happening, brother? All right, Johnny. Good to see you. Always good to uh, 
break bread with you and catch up and uh, let this roller coaster uh, begin and continue. Well, bro, let me ask you this question right out of the gate, because you've been a yeah. Yankee fan for forever. Going back to the days of Reggie and Thurman and Billy and all the craziness of the 1970s. Can right. you ever remember in your years as a fan a more topsy-turvy, up-and-down, schizophrenic type of season? I can't think of one in my years as a fan. No way. No. No, I don't think it. I don't think I've been a fan since 73, so that's probably close to 50 years. Uh, I've seen some bad teams in the 80s. I mean, I've seen some uh, crappy teams in the early 70s. Uh, early 90s was pretty bad. But uh, I've never seen a team like this. I've never seen a team that toys with your emotion, plays with you left and right, and then they leave you for dead. And now it has happened several, several times. And um, I've come to the conclusion that we don't know what we're going to get the rest of the way. So I'm not. I'm not banking on anything at this point. At this point, they have not seduced me, but I've been I've been in there agonizing for months and months with you. So now I have no choice but to play this out. So if they implode, they fucking implode. And you're not going to be shocked by it. That's the thing. Like I think no, we're now at the point no. if the Yankees lose in crash and burn crushing fashion, wild card game before the playoffs, in the playoffs, we're going to be mentally prepared for it. At the same time, if they rattled off nine out of their next 10, Nikki, that wouldn't really shock me either, to be honest with you. Yeah, because the weird thing about this team is they're not a great team, but they're a very flawed team with a lot, a lot of talent. And they could beat anybody when they're hot. But they have some serious issues that might undo them even making the wild card, um, especially the bullpen, which has really collapsed them. Completely. And the team has been floored by a lot of players who have stunk up the year left and right. Aaron Judge is trying to keep them afloat. Uh, he's been tremendous. I've even have to give uh, Big G, who I've been hard on and I've ripped apart, has actually done a good job. He's shoot. had a lot of big hits. You're right he about has. that, Nikki. And he I've has. given him a ton of shit, too. The idea of him not playing the field used to piss me off to no end. Well, now he's not only playing the field a couple days a week. But he's had some gigantic hits. I'm talking some monster home runs. I loved him talking all the smack with Lindor the other day. I loved it. That to me was like, all right, you know, you're sticking up for your guys. This guy's taunting you. We know Lindor ends up sticking into the Yankees in the bottom half of the eighth inning. But that's the sort of thing I want to see more of, a little flair, a little passion. Stanton and Judge, dude, they are a different team when Judge and Stanton hit consistently. They're a different team. Oh, they are. They are because when they went on that run, they were both, they were both mashing and they were both feeding off each other. And the ironic thing is him playing the field has turned his season around a lot. For whatever reason, I didn't watch him in the National League. He's a better player, not being a DH. Maybe some guys can settle in and be a DH. He's a much more productive player. I think he's more involved and you could see him and Judge bonding a little bit. I like to see that because I always was wondering about what their dynamic was. But Judge has been uh, tremendous. He really is an MVP type player. He has showed it. And uh, Big G has, you know, kind of won me over a little bit. So those two guys have been great. And even Gaudy lately has been showing up. Uh, the old man Gaudy has been actually, you know, uh, he's been doing a lot of good things. I mean, Rizzo, uh, I, I think Rizzo was a great addition. I think Rizzo turned a lot 
When he got hurt and he went down, I think that hurt them a little bit. Came back, he's finding his way now. But they have a lot of other issues that could really could really destroy them. You know so, what has killed them, Nikki? Well, Wazaga. When you think about setbacks for this team, the bullpen without Jonathan Loisaga, how good was Lasagna, dude? Middle relief, closing when you need him, not having him there in those late innings. Think about a couple of the games Green yucked up Saturday, Sunday. Those could have been spots Johnny Lasagna's pitching, bro. Just saying. Yeah, and, and probably games that we would have won with Lasagna because this bullpen is crippled now. If we didn't have this other guy, Clay Holmes, oh, my God. Where would we be without Clay Holmes? This fucking guy was a fine. Thank God for this guy. But he can't do everything. And then with Lasagna going out, because Green is a, he's a waste. I, I, I can't, I can't, you know, I'm sorry. Green, you can pick him in. You know, he doesn't have any real balls. He'll always implode. He'll always fuck you when you think, you know, you can't trust him. You cannot trust Chad Green, especially with a name like Chad. I don't trust anybody named Chad. You don't trust Chad. No, you I trust John's though. I hope you trust John. Who? Johnny, Chad is a different story. I don't trust any Chads. Um, but you know, yeah, lasagna was a terrible loss. And now, you know, we have to piece it together. But the biggest problem is we now have a closer who just throws sinkers and sliders. You know, he's completely lost his confidence and he's getting outs a little bit here and there, but he's a, you know, he's a tightrope beyond what we've ever seen now. So. I don't know if we're going to get by with this guy. I'm just hoping he can he can navigate and find his way back as a closer. They had to bring him in tonight because Sal Romano, of all people, is pitching. I don't know why Sal Romano, even in a 7-1 game, why are you Well, and that's the perfect time to bring him in. Listen, if you're going to be on the team, you better be able to get outs in a 7-1 game. Or to be honest, Nick, you can't be on the roster. You can't be on the team. You hit on two guys to me that have to figure it out in a hurry or the Yankees are doing nothing this year. Chapman is one. You know who the other guy is? Gleyber Torres. And I think we can now acknowledge and settle the debate once and for all. He is not a shortstop. The Yankees have basically admitted here over the final few weeks of the year, they're moving him off his shortstop. They're moving him to second base to get him going. He's not a shortstop. Forget about his defense, Nick. What happened to the guy offensively who looked like one of the best Young players in baseball, a Soto, a Cunha, a Tatis Jr. type. Gleyber Torres is in 250 with six home runs this year. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, listen, if you really break down his whole body of work, Johnny, he's uh, he's only had a couple of good years. So a couple of good years doesn't mean he never really has been that consistent. He hit the long ball that one year where he hit the 38 home runs. But being at second base helped him. Putting him at shortstop. His defense has affected his offense tremendously. I'm not saying he'll go back to the hitter he was, but he'll have a much better career, whether it's with the Yankees or somebody else at second base. He is not a shortstop. Never was, never will be. And he's a very, very streaky, flawed hitter. The whole team is streaky and flawed. That's why they are the most streaky, flawed team we've ever seen being Yankee fans. That's why it's, you know, you can't really, you have to brace yourself for a disaster, but hold out hope especially these next eight, 10 games now. We're tied for the wild card right now. There's everybody breathing down our neck. So we got to beat up on these teams this week. It's critical because then we have some tough games in about eight or 10 days. So we got to hit We got to hit, hit on all cylinders these games. And we're going to see. We're going to see what the pitching. I mean, the starting pitching right now, too, is a, I mean, tonight Cole went. I came here late. I was working. I love seeing him battle, by the way. Addy this Lord, is the Addy sort Lord. of game, Nick. 
that tells you all you need to know about Garrett Cole. I know Garrett Cole's great. Houston game, 15 strikeouts. He had nothing tonight. Nothing. nothing. 26, 27 pitches in the first inning. I know the Orioles stink. I know they're not any good. But on a night when you need to win, he battles and gives you five innings of one-run baseball when he's got nothing. Nick, those are the sort of starts yeah. that tell me, hey, guess what? This guy is all business. This John, guy is as good as advertised. Nick, he's going to go down as one of the best free agent yes, signs Johnny, they've made in 20 plus there. years. I was there. I was there. I was there in Anaheim, first row. He had 15 strikeouts. The guy is a stud. I saw him pitch against the Yankees in 19 uh, in the first row on Houston. The guy's the real deal. He's an animal out there. And, and he should beat them with shitty stuff for five innings. That's what an ace should do. I'm not surprised by that because if he's not doing that, then he's not a true ace. I get that. But you when you need that? to win games, though, but we when you have need to, to win, win games, games guess what? You can't, you can't flush this down the toilet and say, oh, it's an off night. I don't have it. I'm out in the third no. inning. Grind. That's the key. That's what the great ones do. I'm thinking about this because, listen, I think Cole, if he can put together a couple more years like this, He'll go down as an all-time great Yankee free agent signing. And, you know, you think about great aces they've had. In your time as a fan, would you say, forget about relievers. We know Mariano, Gossage, whatever. Best Yankee starter of your lifetime. Is it Gidry? Of my lifetime? Your lifetime. Correct. The best Yankee starter of my starter. lifetime? That's right. Um... You mean true Yankee, not like a uh, a signing? Yeah, I'm not putting Clemens in there. Like, Clemens doesn't count. No, Clemens is the Red Sox. Exactly. Clemens don't count. I'm going to put Gidry number one. Gidry ahead of Pettit. I would agree with that. Yeah, and I'll put... I would agree with that. I think it's close. I think it's close, but Gidry ahead of Pettit. Gidry at his best is better than Pettit at his best. Fair? Yeah, fair. Yeah, Gidry at his best is probably a little better than Pettit, but uh, Pettit was such a big game pitcher. Even though he had a couple of stinkers, he had a couple of bombs in his life, but he always made up for it. You know, I mean, 96, he, he gave up the, the first game, like, you know, eight, 10 runs. Then he came back and shut, shut them out. Uh, same thing in uh, Arizona. He stunk it up game six, but he's had so many other big games, big wins. Um, I can forgive him having a couple of bomb games. So Pettit would be number two. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Gidry, number one, Pettit, number two, number three. Um, that's a tough That's one. a tough call, number three. That's a very, very That's tough call. Because you're mean, trying to determine who are Yankees, who are not Yankees. Like, Mike Messina is a Hall of Fame pitcher. But he's Mike not Messina really a more of a Yankee or an Oriole. Exactly. Hey, he's kind of squid the baby. And, and then you have a guy like Wells who bounced around forever. El Duque you know, didn't have enough longevity with the Yankees. So, to me, it's if for you, it's Gidry and Pettit, one, two. I think it's an easy call. And, and, what, and this might be debatable, number three, because he uh, – he was a Met, but I think he had his shining moments with the Yankees. Coney was a great big game Coney, pitcher. He was Coney, a great. See, I and think I would make the argument. I'm with you on that. Yeah. David Cohn was a better Yankee than Mike Messina. He was. He's, He's a, a better winner. Yankee. I agree he with was you a on winner. that. I'm sorry. And nothing against Mike Messina. He's a wonderful pitcher, but he's not David Cohn. He's not David Cohn. I'm sorry. David Cohn may not get in the Hall of Fame and all this other crap, but he's better than Mike Messina. All right. It's just like Don Manningly. He's better than a lot of guys. He only had five years because he hurt his back. I hurt my back. I understand what that is now. You can't function. So, you know, I don't give a shit about the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame sometimes is overrated. It's longevity. It's numbers. He hung around. 
He's a great pitcher, Messina. But is he better than Cone? No. Is he better than Schilling? No. So come on. Be real here. Cone was a great Yankee. He was probably the guy that you we we trusted in the 90s. Because we didn't have, you know, we had Wells. El Duque was Well, and a- remember, Wells was come and go. He was with the team yeah. 97, 98. Then he got traded yeah. for Clemens. El Duque in a big game, I would trust listen, with my listen, life. But the if problem you, with El Duque put- is from April until September, you didn't know if you were going to get him more than 10 games a year. He didn't want to pitch in a regular season. Wasn't he doesn't his have thing. The, yeah, he doesn't have the body of work. But if you want to put like five guys, big game pitches, Duque's in there. Absolutely. Absolutely. He's in there. Can you believe, by the way, and you know this because we had that conversation when I was up at Fenway Park. I'm returning to the scene of the crime next week, Nick. Am I crazy or am I crazy? When? When? Next weekend. When the Yankees are at Fenway Park. We're taking the show on the road again. That's what we do. What are the dates of those games? Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Next weekend. What are those dates? Oh, is Nikki thinking about a Fenway I, road I trip? Big, I got a big anniversary. Oh, uh, well, you can't get in trouble with the misses. I would I love know, to have you there. I'm going to be I in know. enemy territory. I'm going to be surrounded. I know, I know. I'm, I'm tempted. I'm just asking what are the dates? The actual dates. See, that's actually a good question. I love that I got to pull this up in my phone as we do this conversation right here. The <laughs> actual dates, Hollywood, 24, 25, 26 of September. Not gonna say yes yet, but there's a look at you plotting. I like this. I like this. No, because you know I, I'm obsessed with Fenway, and for me, it to- is Nick, and I can't stand the Red Sox. It's the best ballpark in America, well, in sit, my opinion. You said oh, I don't know where I'm doing the show, so if I come and do the show, you're coming with me. That's it. Okay. Well, if I come, then- that happen. We'll talk. Then, then, we'll talk. Uh, we'll and talk. you would be very proud of me. I finished the Gambler, and I loved it. I thought it was fan. Fantastic. Khan was fantastic. The whole premise of the movie was fantastic. You, you gave me a great description because the Wahlberg movie stunk. Like, I, I, I remember seeing it after the fact to try to put it in that realm, to try to put it in that stratosphere. I mean, from the intensity right out of the gate, Khan teaching, like, dude, it was unbelievable movie. Great, great fun. Great fun. And so many great actors in it. I mean, if you go down, if you go down the line, the woman that played his mother, I don't know her name, but a tremendous actor. How about his grandfather, the Jewish grandfather? He was great. He was great. Uh, how about the guy who comes in at the end, Vic Tabak? He goes, what do you got? What do you got up there? Fucking, what do you got? What do you got up there? Huh? You ain't fucking athletes, that guy, Vic Tabak? There was a show called Alice way before your time. He was on Alice. Great actor. Um, there's also, Servino uh, uh, is great in it. He is really, really good. Great in really, he, really, he's really, really like, good. He's, in a lot of movies, he's over the top and he's like cartoonish, but he has a couple of great performances. He's great in that. He's great in Goodfellas because in those movies, he was grounded. He's very understated in those movies. Very, very so understated good. in those because movies. Because if you see him in some other movies, he's a bit of a blowhard. He's a bit of a bit just over the top. But in those movies, he's terrific. When he tells him, he goes, I'm going to tell you something I never told another customer. You know, I never made a game, a bet in my life, he tells him. He goes, everybody is out to what? Lose. You know, he's like, he's like, yeah, I know that. And, um, but he was wonderful in that. Wonderful. Even when they won the, you know, at the, at the basketball game, his reaction was great, James Conn. Because it looked like it wasn't even going to fucking happen. He goes, hey, they took your boy out of the game. They took your boy. <laughs> Fabulous. What a, oh, what a great movie. 
Gene, it was such a great recommendation. recommendation. Now, for you, if you could put yourself as a guy who has acted in a lot of big movies, you've been there, you've been around it. Yeah. If you could be in one movie and you could put yourself in one role in a fantasy land, dream land. What movie would that be for Nikki Totoro? You could play one role. I could play one role? One role. That's right. Wow, that's... I don't know if anybody's ever asked you this question before, but I'm doing it. That's a loaded question. I mean, I I think, personally, like, I would have loved to have been in... I don't know what role, but because I'm from the 70s and I like that movie a lot, it's a fucking great movie. I really think that, like... uh, Boogie Nights is a movie that I should have been in. You should have been in that movie. I agree with that. But I'll, t- I'll give in. you one bet. I'll tell you. I, I got one. No, I got and one. That's for a you. great movie. Uh, no, too. I got one for you. I, you know what? You got movie? a better one. Okay. I got a better one. It just hit me because I talked to Adam Sandler one time and he goes, "You should have been in that fucking movie." My dream because I love the movie, and I could I could see me being Ken Wall's friend. He's like the little guy. Is the Wanderers, the fucking Wanderers, man. I should have been in the Wanderers. That's like my dream movie because Philip Kaufman made it great. I met him one time. He liked me. I had a meeting. Ken Wall, who was fucking great in it. And then that big Italian guy, leave the kid alone. If you've never seen The Wanderers, got to watch it. Fucking great. That's my movie. Pick I was going to say, I think that's our movie recommendation right there. Considering that it's your dream I'm giving role, you a recommendation. I see this movie. Oh, you're going to love it. You're okay. going to go wild because it's all about gangs. The Irish, the Italians. You know, the African-Americans, whatever. It was all the Chinese gangs. It's fucking great in the 60s. And it's like, you know, you're going to love the Wanderers. Wait wait till you see that. Well, listen, you're two for two right now. You're batting a thousand. So I expect you to continue to bat a thousand. This guy on the the freaking mob review, Mike Francesi, he's out there, thinks he's like a movie review because he was in the mob. Forget that guy. I'm giving you bona fide great movies, not just mob movies. This guy, mob I'm movie well That's Listen, yeah. we know your contribution. That's why you do what you do. Right. Final one before we say goodbye. And one Gut other feel. third one. Have you ever seen oh, you got The Lords of Flatbush? No, I have not. Oh, my God. Bro, I got a lot of movies to watch. I, oh, you know, like, there's only so much I can see. Who's the, who's the star of the movie? Stallone the star is off the wall. Henry Winkler, Stallone, Harry King. And this other guy. So this came out pre-Rocky, post-Rocky. Before Rocky. Before I actually, Rocky, okay. I actually saw this movie. And it's like, it's like the low-budget version of The Wanderers. But it's to Stallone, I gotta say, next to the first Rocky, Henry Winkler was so inspired by him in the movie. Henry Winkler's good in the movie that he based the Fonz. He based the Fonz on, on, on Stallone's character. Wow, really? Yes. Yes. Wow. Never knew that. I mean, I've never seen the movie, so that's... Wanderers. He based the Fonz off of basically watching Sly Stallone play this role? Yeah, because Stallone played like this kind of 50... Like It was in the 60s, but I don't know what you call these guys with the leather jackets. You know, they're kind of like these... um, I don't know how to say it, like these... like, uh, Like a motorcycle guy, but he wasn't really a motorcycle guy. Just a neighborhood guy. But he was so naked... And he was so pure in the movie. And it's it's so hilarious. You know, I mean, like the scenes in the movie. There's a girl, she's his uh he's trying to get engaged, and she goes, I want that ring. He goes, I'm saving for a car. I'm saving for a car. <laughs> he goes, Let me get you a friendship ring. 
and they go into the jewelry store to buy a ring. He goes, can you got layaway or something? He goes, you got something you can pay? Hey, daddy. Oh, he's so good in the movie. So funny. And, and, and when I saw this article, my brother told me about Rocky. It was the news day. And I said, oh, my God, I know this guy. I've seen him. I saw that movie. It was, a, you know, I saw it in the theater. It just it was a low budget movie. I liked it. And it's grown on me. And uh, I used to talk with Sandler about that movie, too. It's terrific. Terrific. It's very, very underrated, understated. Susan Blakely's in it. And um, you're going to you're going to go wild with, with Stallone. And can't wait. Gut feel. Yankees in the playoffs? Yes or no? I agree with you. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say I don't know how. Somehow, some way. I think they're playing the game up. on the road, though. Full disclosure. I do not think they're hosting a game. I think Toronto's going to host no, the game. They might be better off being on the road. Well, as long as Cole's pitching on regular rest, he has to pitch the game. Oh, yes, pitch. If he doesn't pitch the game and it's somebody else, they're completely oh, they're done. screwed. They're done. Completely I mean, screwed. They're one, they're one shot. Their one big bullet is they get that game and they get Cole, they have a shot. They have a shot. I mean, but, you know, you got to – now you got to keep your – you know, say a prayer about all these other guys, you know, uh, Kluber, who I don't trust right now. I mean, even Montgomery, man, this guy is like – I don't know. I don't know what to make of this guy. I don't know. And I, I like the kid, man. The kid is just not polished yet, but I like that kid, Gil or Hill or whatever they call him. So you just got to take it one game at a time. One game at a time. Um, and I, I, I don't know. We just got to hope for the best. But I think somehow, some way, we're going to wind up there. But if we don't, I won't be shocked. Can't be. Hey, say your prayers. Don't be a stranger. I feel like there'll be a lot more phone calls between me and you over the next few oh, weeks. Yeah. And I don't know. Yeah. Maybe get clearance from the missus and let's get your ass to Fenway. Let's go. I'm I'm working on it right now. I like it. I like that the wheels are in motion. All right, Nikki. We'll chat soon, baby. All right, Johnny. Good show. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So before we get to voicemails, this is our last pod before Thursday Night Football in what is a crucial, close-to-must-have kind of game for the New York Giants after what was a miserable, miserable performance against the Denver Broncos. I mean, in all honesty, ask yourself this question. What exactly did you like about the Giant effort against the Denver Broncos? And it's not like the Denver Broncos, folks are the Kansas City Chiefs, okay? Let's not make Denver out to be an elite team. I know I picked them to make the playoffs. I know that they have maybe some talent that you can speak of. Talent from a skill position standpoint, talent from a defensive line standpoint. They made Teddy Bridgewater look like he was a Pro Bowl quarterback. When Teddy Bridgewater is an average to a below-average quarterback. Giant defense stunk. The quarterback made the critical mistake. Barkley looked like he was a 1,000 years old and looked like a guy who was coming back off an injury. Well, life comes at you fast in the NFL. 
You can make the argument the Giants are catching a little bit of a break in this game because Ryan Fitzpatrick is unable to go. Taylor Heineke can make plays, but my sense is Washington is not going to go crazy in opening up their game plan. I think they are very content to play a low-scoring, down-to-the-wire kind of game, which means giant defense better come to play, and it better be a heck of a lot better than what it was. And you also better hope that Daniel Jones continues to have this magic touch against the football team. Listen to this. Daniel Jones, 4-0 against Washington. You know what Daniel Jones is against the rest of the league? It's 4-19. Have the Giants done a great job surrounding Jones with top-flight talent on the offensive line from a skill position standpoint before this year to offensive coaching staffs? No, they, they have not. But the way it works in the NFL, whether it's fair or unfair, is that when you're a quarterback, Guess what? You're judged on that record. So 4-0 against Washington is terrific for Daniel Jones. 4-19 against the rest of the NFL is not starting material. This is the prove-it year for Daniel Jones. This coach is going to be here. This coach is surviving no matter what happens. The Giants like him. He's got a good attitude about him. Joe Judge can coach. Aside from his little snafu last week about, yeah, reviewing a scoring play and throwing a challenge flag, to me, there's a lot to like with the giant head coach. I still see with this quarterback far too many instances of he'll move the ball, he'll tease you, he'll show off some of his physical abilities, but the same crap keeps happening. Big turnover carelessness, fumbling, can't tolerate it. You know, maybe I could tolerate fumbling if you play like Patrick Mahomes or if you play like Lamar Jackson. I could accept fumbling. I can't accept fumbling from a quarterback who is average to below average. It's got to be better. Giants have seen way too many years over the last decade since that second Super Bowl Get off to these rocky starts. Teams dig out of 0-2. We've seen it. Historically speaking, though, your odds are not great making the playoffs. They're not great. It can be done, but you don't want to put yourself in that position, especially knowing your franchise's history. Just seen a win on Thursday. To calm the narrative, to kind of ease their way into the year, get a victory. Don't start off 0-2. Don't have a week and a half to dwell on it. You want to show me you're serious, that you can be a factor at the top of this division. Go win this game against the backup quarterback. And if I'm going to watch Taylor Heineke outperform Daniel Jones, I don't want to hear about the Washington defense. That's a major indictment on Daniel Jones. He has got to be the better quarterback in this game. Is that an outlandish thing for me to say? I would hope not. Washington basically got Taylor Heineke off the street. Daniel Jones is the top 10 pick. He needs to be the better quarterback in this game. Voicemail time. 
I'm sure they will be spirited. They've been very spirited as of late. A testament to all of you. A testament to your passion. I ran into a couple of guys today on the golf course. They were showing me proof of download. You know, like this proof of vaccination these days. Hey, JJ, I'm listening to pod. I'm listening here. I'm listening there. Well, you know where to listen. Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcast. You also know how to leave a voicemail. So let's hear them. So Rudy, what do we got? Hey, JJ, Justin from Missouri. Just checking in with the Giants here. I don't know what is going on with this Giants offense. I don't know what's going on with Jason Garrett. I really think that display of Jason Garrett, I think he's still on the payroll for Jerry Jones. I think Jerry Jones is paying Jason Garrett to blow up the Giants. He's so mad about the Giants Super Bowl rings. He, it's just unbelievable. I don't know what Jason Garrett's doing with these check down patterns and not using their offensive weapons. You tell me, JJ, what's going on here with this? What, what are we going to do with Jason Garrett? Thanks. Have a great day. Jason Garrett has been an uninspiring offensive play caller for Big Blue. And the amazing thing about Garrett is that when I watched the Cowboys play offense, they were a well-run offense. Now, I didn't think he was a particularly good head coach. I was never one of these rah-rah Jason Garrett guys. The clapper was very uninspiring at times down in Big D. I thought he got way too long of a leash down in Big D. I thought he could call plays. So far, I have not been impressed. Now, Am I going to pin all of the blame on the giant offense on Jason Garrett? Do I think if Jason Garrett went to like Kansas City and had Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill to work with, he'd be able to call plays? Yeah. Would he do as good a job as Andy Reid? No chance. I can't make Daniel Jones struggles entirely on the offensive line, entirely on the play calling. It's a combination of a variety of different things. Yeah, it's play calling. Yeah, it's line play. Yeah, it's his turnover problems. Yeah, it's the fact that Saquon Barkley hasn't been on the field enough. Like, all of these factors add up. But guess what? You don't get lifelines forever at quarterback. The clock's ticking for Daniel Jones. He knows it. I don't think there's any secret. It's a big game for him. It's a big season for him. 0-2 with a loss in the division, a loss to an average Denver team. Kind of gives off that vibe of, oh, crap. Here we go again. Well, that's the case or not, it doesn't matter. And when you're a franchise that kind of has this losing stigma to it, you want to get that out of you. You want to show, hey, guess what? Enough of that crap. We're not, we're not perennial losers anymore. Start off on two. You have one winning season in the last eight years. Those questions are going to creep up. Sometimes week two games, the significance can be overstated. I don't think that's the case for the Giants at all. This is a game they need to win. Who's next? Hey, JJ. This is Jared in New Jersey. First time caller, diehard Jets fan. I'm calling to, to rant a little bit. I'm just so sick of the team and the losing. And this year, I think, might piss me off more than any year because of the narrative and when they lose this year it's going to be oh they fought oh they kept it close oh look how competitive the team is and frankly it's going to be 11 years of no playoffs and i'm sick of it and i don't think the roster is good enough for where it should be in year two and a half or three whatever you want to call it of joe douglas 
I think this team is like, is like the Giants organization last year when everyone was like, oh, look at Joe Judge keeping the Giants close and competitive, and then look at them this year. They're probably not going to be any good. And then uh, their GM is going to get fired, and Jones is going to get run out of town. So I'm sick of it. I don't see any light at the end of the tunnel, and I think, for me, Joe Douglas should be on the hot seat. Thanks. Bye. I think you're going a little over the top. Little over the top, considering that Joe Douglas walked into a situation where they basically had two players remaining from like their last three or four years of drafts. That is a monumental undertaking to go and deal with. I think you're failing to realize how bare that cupboard exactly was from a Jet standpoint. You're not going to want to hear positive spin from a guy like me. And I know it's probably not going to sit well with you when you haven't been in the playoffs in the last 11 years. But in all honesty, what did you expect this year? You got a first-year coach. You got a rookie quarterback. You got an overhaul within this roster. You won two games last year. And to be honest, you were pretty damn close to going 0-16. Your team stunk. They were an embarrassment. They're a laughingstock. So, what, what did you think? Salah and Zach Wilson were going to get you to 10 wins this year? This is going to be a slow build. You cannot look at the Jets over the last 10 years and grade what you're seeing now from this coach and this quarterback this year and the GM over the last two years. Are there a couple of wish for Joe Douglas in free agency? I'll acknowledge that. As far as his drafts go, how can you be sure? One way or another. What is he, two full drafts with the Jets? I don't know about you. I, 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 for one, need to see a lot more than that. Before I'm evaluating properly, hey, guess what? The GM has a clue. The GM doesn't have a clue. And you know why it's different from a guy like Dave Gettleman? Gettleman walked into a situation that he actually thought was salvageable. He walked into a team, totally misread what they were, and set the franchise back by the decisions that he had made. Douglas walked into the building and said, we're a dumpster fire. I'm building this bad boy from the ground up. How he does in executing that plan, we'll see. But at least he understood the predicament of his situation. Something Dave Gettleman with the Giants did not. Who's next? Hey, JJ. Sean from Long Island. Thanks for taking the call, man. And congratulations on your first place Dolphins by default. And as well, congratulations on uh, getting the early lead on our little bet, TV's plus wins. We got two or three, Zach Wilson two. So we'll keep an eye on that moving forward. But JJ, listen, I'm calling for the Jets from the offensive line. You know, the red zone is great for fantasy and for keeping track of touchdowns. But when you flip around the red zone, you really just see all these different teams with actual offensive lines that can make a pocket for their quarterback, let their quarterback go through reads, go through progressions. Go back to the Jets. Wilson, from the very start of his career now, is not doing any of that. You know, from the snap of the ball, it's just chaos for two seconds. And he tries to make a play. There's no, there's no reads out there. There's no progressions, I feel, from the very first game. I know week one is always overreaction week. But, you know, after the calamity that was Sam Darnold, I just got a feeling from the very start now, Wilson's developing into almost a chaos quarterback rather than a legitimate NFL quarterback. I want to get your take on that because it's 
really concerning to me to see this first game have no offensive line, no protection, and seemingly no adjustments to that uh, as far as style goes. So once you take on that JJ as far as Wilson and properly developing a quarterback for once, instead of from the very start here just having a chaos quarterback. Thanks so much, JJ, and uh, take care. Bye. I get that, Sean, and the Jets did not have a particularly good offensive line for Sam Donald over the last couple of years. But the reality is for a lot of rookie quarterbacks, they're not going to great offensive lines because the teams that they're getting drafted by stink. Very rare that a rookie quarterback goes to a team that has like three all-pro guys on an offensive line. Doesn't happen very often. I'm sure there are a few exceptions to that. Like Ben Roethlisberger going to the Steelers back in 2004. He went to a loaded offensive line. Fair. When Kaepernick came into the league, the Niner offensive line was pretty darn good. Like, yeah, these, these are rare, rare instances. Most young quarterbacks, like Trevor Lawrence with the Jaguars, his offensive line is worse than the one the Jets are running out there. I get the point of you're worried about a quarterback developing bad habits because he's just in full-fledged scramble mode. He's got to understand what exactly he's working with. And that's where you need that quarterback to have that sense of football IQ to realize, hey, I'm doing this now because I have to and it's out of desperation. But when I have more time to you know, go through progressions and do what I need to do, I can calm the game down a little bit. With no Mekhi Becton and with New England angry coming to town this week, that's a tough spot for the Jets. That's a tough spot for this quarterback. We'll get to that Thursday when we do our picks and we run around the league. I know the Jet fans fired up. They haven't been in a home game in two years. They want to see their new quarterback. They want to see their head coach. All gas, no break. I, I, I get it. Judon, Hightower, Van Oy, off a loss. Belichick against a rookie. Do not like anything about this matchup coming up for the Jets on Sunday. Not a darn thing. Who's next? What's up, JJ? Tom from Jersey. Dolphins stand for life out here. Victory Monday. Just want to say, let's go, baby. Things up. In Flores, we trust. Tua looks good. Couple drops on the receivers. That one fancy slung to Parker has got me fired up, man. The arm is there. The legs are there. He's looking good. Waddle, defense. Oh, man, I'm just so fired up. Got to get in touch with uh, one of my Dolphin guys and uh, just check in. So fired up for this weekend. I actually married a Buffalo Bills fan, so this is a big weekend in the household. Um, what are your thoughts on, on the upcoming game? Bills in a tough spot just because the pressure and, yeah, way too much hype on this team in the preseason. Everybody's anointing Josh Allen. And uh, he looked like he regressed the season, to be honest. I see every Bills game alongside my wife. And, uh, yeah, he was making his mistakes, not sliding, fumbling, throwing balls he shouldn't be throwing, forcing them into slots and stuff. A uh, little bit of a regression out of Josh. A lot of pressure on him, MVP chance. Uh, love all of it. Just screw with his head, everybody. And uh, let's go, Fizz, man. Pull her back this week. we got to start scoring more than 17, that's for sure. But... A lot of confidence coming off of this week one victory. Fins up, baby. Later, JJ. I love the Miami Dolphin call. Our buddy was feeling as giddy as I was on Monday 
I had the dolphin hat. I had the dolphin polo for golf. I had to rep the team after they knocked off Bill in Los Angeles' New England Patriots. And I love the saltiness. Listen to his pod driving to the golf course earlier today. I mean, Bill, uh, the, the Patriots are boy, them, blah, blah, blah. You lost. Know this. Your team is 0-1. My team is 1-0. Case closed. Case closed. So you can cry, 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 cry. 0-1, 1-0. Two is record against Bill Belichick, 2-0. Not going too crazy about that, but I'll get a little salt in the wound. I'm more than happy to do so. Look, the Dolphins are a well-coached football team. They can throw a lot of different looks at you on defense. The secondary is outstanding. I think the offensive line is a problem. I think the running game and what you're going to get on a week-in and week-out basis is a major question. And I thought, too, it was fine. The interception was unacceptable. Ball has to be thrown away. But I thought it was sharp. I thought it was confident. He has a great connection with Jalen Waddell already. Jalen Waddell's going to lead that team of receptions. You could just tell. Tua loves throwing him the football. On the quick slant, down the field. The guy could do it all. He had a big drop, which bothered me. Cost the Dolphins probably about 30 or 40 yards. But if he's going to make six to seven catches and show you breakaway speed, he's going to be a terrific, terrific talent. Now, be careful with this matchup with the Bills. I know you're fired up, and I'm fired up. You have to acknowledge this. Buffalo has owned the Miami Dolphins since Josh Allen has taken over the quarterback. They've owned them. Allen lit them up at the end of 18. He torched them in both games in 2019. He torched them last year in 2020. Beat them late in the game in week two. And ended the Dolphin playoff hopes basically with one dominant first half. The Dolphins have to show me as a franchise that they can go look the Buffalo Bills in the eye and beat them. They haven't matched up well. And that's not just two a thing. That's what Ryan Fitzpatrick too. Brian Flores is 0-4 against Sean McDermott since he's been a head coach. Brian Flores has been taking names and kicking ass. Dolphins want to show me they can win the AFC East? Go win on Sunday. I still think this is Buffalo's division to lose. I think you're overreacting with Allen after one game. Did they get overhyped? Maybe. Is Allen going to have a monster year? You can count on it. But it's a fascinating game. I think it's arguably the most juicy week two game outside of Chiefs and Ravens. And I'm not just saying that from a Dolphins standpoint. Find me the better game in the week two card than Bill's Dolphins if I'm taking the Chiefs and the Ravens out of it. You want to tell me Cowboys, Chargers? It's a good game. I think the Dolphin-Bill game is more intriguing from a divisional standpoint. Sir, are you backing me on that? What game are you looking forward to watching more as a neutral party? Bill's Dolphins, Cowboys, Chargers. Uh, Bills Dolphins definitely because it, it you know if your Dolphins go two and zero, that's a big that's a big leg up on everybody in that division obviously and there's going to be some desperation there for the Bills and as as you know I have the over uh, on the Bills season total here so I need them to kind of come come through here because starting zero and two is not great for my bet. I can understand. I still think your bet will be a okay. I hope you go down in flames though in week two and I'm glad that I can bring in a neutral party just so I'm not just giving you the Dolphins agenda as it being the most appealing game of the week. That makes the audience feel a little bit more at ease. So thank you for that, Sarudi. Thank you. That's what we do. Who's up next? And the ball game is... <laughs>
<laughs> oh, baby. The ball game is over. It's over. Get on your tippy toes there, Cohen. Go grab Keith's hand. Shake it. Darling's leg. It's over. Another day off the calendar. Woo! Alex from Newark. What's up, JJ? I mean, listen, they never die. You know what I'm talking They never die. The roach, cockroach, met, never die. Never die. But when they get extinguished, it makes it that much sweeter, my friend. Woo! Listen, I don't give a shit who it is. No one wants to win. Padre, Red, Cardinal, Philly, Philly done. I don't care. And here's the problem you have. This Cardinal series is huge. Because they might be our only hope. But you look, Padre have to play everyone in the West. The Red have to play the Cardinal and and the Brewer. The Met. Met get the joke. So today was huge. Tomorrow, even bigger, my friend. And I want to say this and I'll leave you I'll leave you until the next green room, J Pod Live. I will take Yankee Miss Playoff. I will take Sixer Miss Playoff. I will take Cowboy Miss Playoff. I will take Red Sox go deep into the playoff, all for one thing. In fact, I'll take Joe Biden happily as my president. The only thing, let's keep the Met out of the playoff. God bless you. I mean, Alex basically giving me the laundry list of things that he would give up. I mean, uh, the Met hatred, a little over the top, Alex. And listen, it was significant to some uh, on Tuesday. Make no mistake. We were heavily invested in a St. Louis Cardinals to win. and. They took care of business. It was a little too close for comfort. And for those of you who follow our season totals with the NFL, we didn't unveil our season totals for Major League Baseball because New York, New York had already started. So, like, giving out season totals, season starts, what good is that? I am going to be sweating out the A's and the Cardinals until, like, the final game of the year. I'm going to win Tampa. I've already lost San Francisco. I'm going to win with the Met under. But the Cardinals and the A's, I mean, every game from my season bet and my regular season bet. Ooh. Ooh. Pins and needles. I mean, Alex hates the Mets. He's reacting like it's game seven of the World Series. It's a big game. Don't get me wrong. But you're not messing. It's a little different. Two to go. What do we got? Disco J, it's Diasis. Um, 6.30 in the morning, I'm just getting out of the gym. You know, I go early in the morning. I go with the working class people. I go with the blue collar. Uh, I know Alex in Newark likes to have his personal private trainer come to his little mansion on the hill. You know, elite status, status, hall, uh, status Newark. Um, anyway, Disco, I, you know how I feel. I already said it. The, the Toronto Blue Jays are, you know, are, are hitting the ball like, you know, that Looney Tunes uh, episode with the, when they're doing the Cucaracha around the bases. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to last into October, but right now the wild card game goes through Toronto. Now, I know you're giddy. You're giddy playoff. You want it. I'm going to tell you right now the only way it happens. And, and, and again, it's Tuesday morning, so by the time you play this, the, the first game against Baltimore will be done. I'm going to assume, for the love of God, 
that Garrett Cole starting in Baltimore, Camden Yards against this Orioles team after what happened the other week is going to be a win. I mean, I mean, Christ Almighty, can I assume that? They have to go. They already beat Minnesota. So of those 10 games, they have to win seven. So right now, out of the next nine, you got to give me six and three. You give me six and three out of the next nine, you're going to Fenway Park, Disco J, with a chance to not only increase your lead, but to eliminate the Red Sox. Am I wrong? Now, again, to me, it makes no difference because right now the Toronto Blue Jays are going to take whoever comes to the Sky Dome for that one-game playoff, shoo them up, and spit them out. But I, uh, but I know you want that one-game playoff, and you want the possibility of ALDS in the Bronx for a little bodega action. So if you want it, I'm telling you the way it's going to happen. You have to win six out of the next nine against the Baltimore Orioles, the Cleveland Indians, and the Texas Rangers. So let's see what happens. And if you're going to win any of those games, make sure you win on Don Mattingly Bobblehead Day, Saturday at the Bronx. I'll talk to you later, Disco. Appreciate Anthony and Syosset. I'm going to take you to task, though. I don't think six and three is good enough. I think the Yankees need to go seven and two. They need to go seven and two against these three terrible teams. The Orioles are an embarrassment. The Rangers are 54 and 90. I know Cleveland's played better. Cleveland, you're probably not sweeping that series. You need to sweep Baltimore. You need to sweep Texas. Case closed. Seven and two. I agree Toronto's going to be playing in the game. My gut feel is that that final wild card spot is going to come down to the Yankees and the Red Sox. I know Seattle is lurking. They're dangerous. Oakland is lurking. I think the final way, uh, final playoff spot, Yankees, Red Sox. Toronto has too many games with the Orioles. They're hosting the game. I'll sign for a playoff game. If Garrett Cole's on a mound, I will sign for a playoff game. Right here, right now. It's a weird year, wacky year. I'll take my chances. I'll sign for it. Last but not least, who do we got? Hey, JJ. Eric down in Florida. Uh, with week one officially in the books, just want to get your take on what rookie quarterback was most impressive to you and showed the uh, most NFL-ready capabilities here after week one? Was it Wilson? Was it Trevor? Was it Mack in uh, New England? What do you Just want your take on that one. And then going forward, do you think the uh, Giants still have any real shot of winning the division? Twofold. It's a loaded question, your first part. Mac Jones is in the best situation by far out of any of these rookie quarterbacks until Trey Lance is given the full reins to be a starter. Jones has the best coaching. He has a very good offensive line. Maybe doesn't have the best group of skill position players, but he's got two tight ends. He's going to be able to have a fighting chance where Lawrence is going to be asked to do everything. Wilson is going to be asked to do everything. When Fields is given the opportunity to play, it's going to be the same sort of deal for him. Lawrence is going to be the best of these quarterbacks. I stand by that. As far as, like, the idea of just being calm and at ease and kind of going through your progressions in a situation, by the way you phrased it, it would be Mac Jones. The best is going to be Lawrence. He will be at the end of this year, even if his team stinks. And when they get players around him, he's going to be the most dynamic of these quarterbacks. And as far as the Giants and the playoffs, listen, I don't think they're a playoff team. 
I think I picked them for seven and ten at the start of the year. With the way they played on Sunday, they're not getting seven wins. They have got to look a lot better. Before you start talking playoffs and the Giants, go win a game. Beat the football team on Thursday and then come back to me. Trivia time. Trivia Q&A with JJ. We've been on a nice little roll. We're feeling our oats. Let's keep the good vibes going. What do we got? JJ, Larry and Ford. I got two trivia for you tonight. Salvador Perez has hit over 40 homers this year. Who's the last catcher in the American League to hit more than 35 home runs in a season? Hint, it happened in the 90s. The second one is the Sky Dome opened in 89. There's one one Blue Jay who got the first home run and the first steal in, in, the, in the new building. Who was that player? I'm out. Two terrific questions. I have an idea, pretty good idea, about the 35 home run catcher. The Sky Dome Toronto Blue Jay, not so much. We'll take a stab at a couple of these right after this. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. So I'm pondering my guess for this catcher. Last catcher with more than 35 home runs happened in the 90s. Now, I don't remember if Larry said American League catcher. I'm going to go on the basis that he did, that he did say it was an American League catcher. If he said it's an American League catcher, I'm going to go with the best catcher of the 1990s. I'm not certain he got the 35 home runs, but I'm throwing his name out there. Is it Yvonne Pudge Rodriguez? Wow. See, sometimes you just got to go with the obvious. This was basically like a square sucker line with Seattle minus three, and it was too good to be true when we scooped it and ended up being a winner. That was Pudge Rodriguez. Think of catchers in the 90s. Who's getting north of 35 home runs? But I, I didn't want to throw. I knew Posada and his career high was like 30, and he didn't do that until 2003, I think, or 2007. So I knew Jorge was out. So by process of elimination, it had to be somebody. So one for one with Pudge Rodriguez. Now, to make it a perfect two for two, first home run in the Sky Dome, 1989. By a Toronto Blue Jay. My guess here. The crime dog. Fred McGriff. Wow. Have a day. Have a freaking day. 
So, Rudy, I didn't even need any other alternate guesses, baby. Fire. I mean, you know, one of the greatest nicknames of all time. Obviously started off his career with the Blue Jays. And yeah, first home run and first steal in the Sky Dome history is the crime dog himself, Fred McGriff. Good job out of you, my man. Very proud of those two particular answers. I had to think about guys who were on the Blue Jays in the late 80s. Like, you can't think Joe Carter came to the team too late. Alomar a little bit later on. So I'm thinking, all right, power hitter, Blue Jays. A lot of people forget that Fred McGriff spent a lot of time in Toronto. Like, Saruti, for our generation, when I think Fred McGriff, I think Fred McGriff, first baseman for the Atlanta Braves. I don't think about Fred McGriff, the first baseman for the Toronto Blue Jays. But in 1989, I mean, I'm not even a year old at that point. I'm basically a year I, old. I, I even think about him on the Devil Rays I, I, more than the Blue Jays. I mean, I just, you know, I was born in 88. I think you were as well, right? 88, um, yeah. He so, did go to Tampa. But for I, me, I, I, you Just know because of the jersey. I, a lot of those Rays, they're memorable, like Boggs and McGriff and Canseco because, like, it's the first time you saw Tampa Bay Rays ever. Yep. But that 96 World Series, like, that's, like, vividly in my mind for forever. Like, I can recite plays and moments, like Graham Lloyd getting Fred McGriff to ground in the double plays. Like, uh, it's moments of my childhood. Kind of made me who I am in many ways. So, the crime dog and Pudge Rodriguez. So, Larry, you got to bring the heat next week, baby, because I kicked your ass. Let's be honest. Kicked your ass this week. Very proud. Very, very proud. Now, we have a play for Thursday Night Football. Before I unveil my play, I want to see if Jeff Money and I are riding together or are we heads up. I was heads up on that Eagle-Falcon game. It didn't work out well for me. We were heads up. Raiders and Ravens on Monday night. So one and one in a little mano-a-mano action. So is it mano-a-mano or is it La Familia? We shall see. What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a Handicapper Picks. This is going to be for Wednesday the 15th and Thursday the 16th. So as far as Wednesday, tomorrow the 15th, I only like one game. I'm going to roll with the uh, Yankees. I'm showing them right now minus 50 over the Orioles. Now I'm showing it to Montgomery versus Mean. So that'll be my play for tomorrow the 15th. On Wednesday will be the Yankees minus the 150. Now as far as Thursday, we had we both had a nice week. I wound up going uh, as far as your pod plays i went up going five and two but most important as far as the uh con- super contest plays i went up going four and one so as far as thursday's giant washington game that's actually going to be one of my uh contest plays actually going to be my main play of the week i love the giants plus i'm showing plus three we'll go by your lines again plus three over washington so that's gonna be my plays for uh for the next two days all right jj i'm out of here let's go well, Jeff, money, it will not be a family play, my friend. We will be mano y mano once again because you are riding with Big Blue. I'm going the other way here. I like the football team. I know Daniel Jones is undefeated against the football team. I know it's going to be Taylor Heineke, quarterback. I think Washington is more well-rounded. I think Washington having this game at home is an advantage. I think Washington and their ability – to disrupt on the defensive line is going to be problematic. I think this line will get to three and a half by kickoff. I will lay the three. And I think the New York Giant fan will have a whole lot to complain about 
when we are doing our Thursday into Friday show from the Gulf Bend in Red Bank, New Jersey. I think the Giants are going to be 0-2 to start off this year. I'm taking the football team, laying the three. I know Giant fans aren't going to like to hear that, but it is what it is. We got a live show Thursday. If you want to come to Red Bank, New Jersey in the Gulf Den, come check us out. It's going to be a rocking time. We'll watch Thursday Night Football. And then we have all our usuals for a football Friday. Picks with the great Joe Beningo. Art Caesar will check in. Jason Katz with his fantasy stuff. He will be a part of the program as well. So on Fridays, they're going to be pretty predictable and unpredictable at the same time. Predictable from a standpoint of, oh, you know who's coming on the show. Unpredictable because it's football and it's me. So in many ways, you never know what you're going to get. Fellas, outstanding job. Late night, kind of par for the course these days. That's how we roll. September nights, New York City. Nothing like them. Best time of the year, September and October. What is it? JJ out. We'll see you at the golf den on Thursday. Be good, everybody.